Hey everybody, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Decatur City Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, we would love it if you would take just a moment to download the Decatur City Church app where you can find access to all of our recent message content. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope you enjoy the following presentation and I hope it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. My name is Sharita. If I have never met you before, hello, and I love you, and I'm excited to see you. I used to be here in Atlanta um, at Decatur City all the time, so I feel like I'm right at home. And I don't know if you saw the little question that came up before I came up here about which would you lose, your mind, your keys, your wallet. I feel like if there was a D, it would be me. It's all of the above, okay? Um, I lost my phone. I have two phones, not because I'm bougie. It's because I like boundaries, okay? One is personal, one is work. And so I lost one and I was losing my mind. And so I I understood that question. I don't know if you feel that way. Um, But um, I have been excited about being here because I lost a few other things as well. And I felt like since we're gonna be together for the next few minutes, I should just be honest. We should just all be transparent in church. Is that okay? Yes or no? Yes, okay. And you are more than able to talk back. Yes, clap all the things that is not bothering me because I can't see your face because you got a mask on. And I can't see your face because you are watching online. So you say whatever you want to say. Nobody is going to have any judgment in this house. But I lost my eyesight, okay? doesn't look like it right now. I do not have contacts, and I'm going to tell you what happened. So a couple weeks ago, I went to the optometrist, and I told her, I walked in, I said, look, I got 20-20 vision, okay? We are here for a routine checkup. Everything's going to be great. She said, that's nice. Sit down. I said, okay. So I sit in the chair. She's a little forceful with her voice. I didn't appreciate that, but I sat down. She does a little machine thing that goes, and you know, the little red line comes up. She goes, I think I see your prescription. I said, I think you want me to buy some glasses, and I rebuked that. I'm not going to do that today. And she said, no, 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 we'll see when you get to the big chair and the little eye chart comes out. I said, that's fine. So we get to the chair. She puts the thing on the left eye. I'm looking out the right eye. I go down and across all the way to the bottom. I said, I told you, I got 20-20 vision. She said, so good. We're going to do the other eye. I said, great, let's hurry up because I need to go get Starbucks, okay? Pumpkin spice, everything. So I'm going to celebrate with that when we leave here. She switches to this cover, this eye, the right eye. And I said, I'm sorry, um... You want to turn the light back up? Because it's a little dim. She said, I didn't turn the light off. I said, you did. Let's not lie. Turn it back on. She said, I didn't turn the light off. I said, well, what's the problem? Because I could see on this side, and this side is now a little bit darker. She was like, well, let's just start with what you can see. Start at the lowest line. Y'all, it was the middle line, okay? I could see all the way down on the other side. I stopped at the big end that was right in the middle. And then she said, what's the next letter? I said, I don't know. I don't know. She said, okay, well, we're going to do a little prescription. I thought I saw something. So I have come to terms with the fact that I am now middle-aged, whatever you think that is, okay? I'm not going to tell you my real age. And I also recognize that I am now a pirate. So hello, Jack Sparrow. Um, so if you see me today, I'm just being honest. Open this and look up there and look back at this, or I stop for and pause for a second. It could be that God has clothed me, and for a moment, I'm like, mm, God, that was so good. Or I just can't see, okay? Because I don't have the glasses. They didn't come in before I got here. So just... Want you to know, are you with me? Is that okay? Can I just be honest? Okay. 
So we're going to start um, out with something that you guys talked about last week, speaking of pirates. You were talking about treasure, right? If you were following along last week, Tinsley talked about the treasure or the kingdom of heaven being like treasure that was found in a field. And this man went and sold everything he had so that he could keep this treasure. And he talked about seeking after God's kingdom, seeking after God with everything that we have because some things are worth everything. But then I started thinking about it after I watched it, and I said, well, you know, it's not just that some things are worth everything, because anything that's worth something costs something, right? That's why we like Target um, and the $5 bins that catch us when we walk into the door and we spend money that we shouldn't. I am a sinner. I'm confessing. Um, also, that's why we like TJ Maxx. That's why we like Nordstrom Rack. I'm just naming places I go. Um, but we also love to get a deal because it feels good when you don't spend a lot of money, but you get the best things. Yes? Yes or no? Yes. So I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about this concept. And then I was like, you know what? God, Jesus kind of felt the same way. He understood not only do we want the best things for uh, a certain price, but he understood it's going to cost something. And he flips this concept of what something will cost on its head based on how much something's worth. And he makes a lot of people upset in the process. But when you read the Bible, if you read the Bible, that's pretty much what Jesus does the whole time he's alive. He just ticked people off, okay? So this is nothing new. So the people he made angry that we're going to be talking about today were the religious Jewish leaders. These are people that are called Pharisees and scribes. They knew all of the law, all of the scriptures. They thought they were high and mighty, and they did not like, they actually really despised people called tax collectors. Today, we would call them the IR. And so I'm not going to say the whole name because I don't want nobody coming after me, but we would call them, you know who, and then he, they also didn't like people who they just felt like didn't know scriptures and they weren't good enough, and they called them sinners. They believed they weren't worth much. They didn't cost anything. So why would Jesus spend his time talking with tax collectors and sinners and people who weren't worth anything, right? That's the question that they were always asking Jesus. And so I started thinking about the word sinner because I'm like, if I'm going to talk about this, I kind of need to know what a sinner is because I get offended when you, if someone were to walk up to me and say, you a sinner, I'm going to know your mama is a sinner, okay? So explain to me what sinner is because you feel some kind of way if you grew up in church. It's like, this is a bad word. It's sin, right? Um, sin is defined in Hebrew. Uh, the Hebrew word is kata, and it means to fail or miss a goal. This is more than doing bad things. It's just failure to miss. You miss a goal. You didn't get it right. Okay. I feel like, okay, I can handle that version. Um, but then I did a little bit more digging. And there are these guys. They have a project called the Bible Project. If you are not a believer and you're looking for more answers, you can go to their website, the Bible Project, and they will tell you a lot of stuff about Jesus. If you are a believer and you're like, I still don't know, understand the Bible, you can go and you can read that. They'll tell you a lot about Jesus. Okay. Been there, done that just last week. So they had this verse or this, this definition of sin as they were talking about it. And they said, it's how we easily deceive ourselves and spin the illusion that our bad decision is actually a good decision. So when I read that, I'm like, stop, get, get out of my life. Um, but I'll, re- I'll say it one more time because I felt like, dang, that's really good. It's how we easily deceive ourselves and spin the illusion that our bad decisions are actually Good decisions. Now, anybody have toddlers in this house or at home? You, you have little people. You wouldn't understand this. You have a toddler. 
they go get into something, won't say what it is, is umpteenth million things they could go find, and they come, and you see them commit the crime, okay? You watch the little hands touch all the stuff, and they have evidence all over them. And you say, did you do X, Y, and Z? And they go, I did, I did do it, I did do it. And you ask again, I'm looking at you, child. Did you do X, Y, and Z? I, said, I don't know, I said, I said, okay. So that would be sin, okay? You fail, you missed the mark, and you have tried to trick me into believing that what you did was not wrong. It was wrong, okay, because I can see it in the kitchen. Now, the Greeks decided they were going to take this a little bit further, okay, because, you know, they're like Socrates and Plato, and they're very deep thinkers. And so they decided to make the word sin even more uh, uh, evil. And so they said, well, the word is harmartia. Can you say that with me? Harmartia. Harmartia. Say it one more time. Harmartia. All right, so harmartia is not just you doing something wrong. It is a force, okay, these words, that are something that almost personifies you have become the sin. You have become the thing. And overall, it is failure or failure on the part of humans to fully love God and love people. That's what that means. So I started thinking about it. That was me on Thursday when I flew into town and had to drive through Atlanta, okay? I was harmartia. I was not fully loving nobody, okay, riding on the connector, and I had to ask God for forgiveness before I started doing this, and that is also me when I'm hangry. It's also me when I order food, and you could have ordered your own, and you asked to have some of mine. Why? Order your own food, okay? I'm not fully loving anyone at that point. So then I was like, this is what Jesus was trying to get the religious leaders and the tax collectors and the people who fail, the sinners, to understand that God does not delight in conserving the law. He actually desires to celebrate the lost. Isn't that crazy? He don't care if you get all the things right. It's not even about that. So, I was like, all right, God, now that I know I am Harmatia and I am not that great, we're just going to keep going. And I started reading Luke. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, Luke is a doctor. He went around and he collected testimonies of all the people who walked with Jesus, who knew Jesus, who saw the miracles, and he put them in a collection, and we call that the book of Luke. So I'm going to start in chapter 15 at verse 3. Jesus tells three different parables. These parables are basically just stories, and the stories help you understand, or Jesus was using them to help people understand what he was trying to get them to see. It's like a deeper meaning, okay? So the first parable he tells is about a lost sheep. And he says, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and goes after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully, can you say joyfully? I mean, you sound happy, y'all just say joyfully. He said joyfully. Oh, that was so good. Look at the people. So joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. Say rejoice with me. Yes, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be much more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. 
Now, all the little people sitting out here listening to Jesus and they're, all the, the religious leaders are so upset and they're frustrated and you're like, why? All you did was tell a parable about a sheep. Well, first of all, Jesus likens God in this story to being personified as a shepherd. And you would think, well, we like sheep. I eat lamb. We all right, right? No, no, no. Shepherds, um, no, I do eat lamb. Shepherds were people who were actually the lowest on the totem pole right? They were seen as thieves. They didn't have as much. And so when you had someone who was a shepherd, they were usually the youngest of all the boys in the family. So they would just pass it down, whoever it was. And shepherds were not seen as someone who had much influence. They were no one. So when it comes to these Pharisees, they're looking at the shepherd and they're like, okay, well, here we go. We, they're just down here low with these sinners. Okay. That's the first problem. Second problem, uh, the religious leaders, they would have heard this concept before. So the concept is not foreign because David, uh, a lineage, their king that had come a long time ago, was one of their favorite kings and he was a shepherd. So in the Psalms, David talks about God is a shepherd, God is a shepherd. It wouldn't have been a big deal. However, he likened them to, or likened the shepherd to loving sinners. So they're like, how can you, how, first of all, God is not low as a shepherd, okay? God is God. He is up here and we know who he is. And then they're like, and you put him in with, with sinners? Jesus is like, that's fine. I'm gonna keep going. I'm about to make you even more upset. So he goes on in verse eight to the next parable. He says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she does find it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. Can you say that? Rejoice. Yeah, all right. I have found my lost coin. She's so happy about this coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. So now Jesus has made these people even more upset because not only is God a shepherd, but now he said God is like a woman. Sir, ma'am, not happy, okay? Why? Because women were just property. They didn't have no Rosie the Riveter, I am woman, hear me roar. None of that was happening then, okay? This time, they're all, they're just property. So Jesus is saying, not only is God loving and, and caring like a shepherd, but he also is detailed. We know if there's anybody married in here, you know, you see stuff your husband don't see, right? Um, so he'll call you and ask you, and it's sitting right here. Honey, did you look? Um, so he's saying, God is so detailed. He doesn't stop. He goes and he looks for all the things until he finds it because he enjoys finding lost things. So he goes through there, he paints this picture, and then the Pharisees are still upset. He's like, well, y'all still not really getting it. So let me give you one more picture. So now he goes on to the last story. Now this last story is a little bit long. I'm just going to tell you, okay? It's just a little second. You're not going to see all the little verse up there. I want you to spare your eyes, okay? We're just going to use mine, the one good right eye that we have. Um, and so it goes like this. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my fair share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the young son got together all he had. And so he sets off to a far distant country and there he squanders his wealth in wild living. After that, he had spent everything. There was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. 
He longed to fill his stomach with the paws or the food that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and I'll say to him, father, I have sinned against you and heaven and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Can you say compassion? He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf, the largest heifer you can find. Okay, just bring it. And let's kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, can you say meanwhile? Yeah, you can say it with attitude because it's not good. The older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. I don't know why I'm playing like a surfer voice in my head when I read the servant, but that's what I heard. So the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never, never disobeyed you, your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill a fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He is lost or was lost and now is found. So I'm going to dig in. You ready? It's not going to take long. When we look at this story, some of us have heard it maybe before, whether you're a believer, non-believer. You may have heard this parable, this story, and you hear it called the prodigal son. We focus on the son who left, okay? So he was bad, he was horrible, he wasted his money. Oh my gosh, you can't believe that. But actually, there were two lost sons. One just never left the house. One was lost because he didn't know his identity and who he was. The other was lost because he didn't know his identity. He went to go found it and realized who he was. But they both were lost. And the father is extremely happy. Now, knowing this, there are a couple things that I think we should know so you can kind of ground yourself in this story. Number one, the prodigal son, the one that left and went and get, got his life together, uh, he was not coming back to repent. He was coming back because he was hungry, okay? So let's just understand that. He did not go, if you go back and you look at it, he says, oh yeah, I could just go back to my dad. Why am I sitting here eating with these pigs? I could go home and I could have real food. So he initially makes a logistical decision, okay? He was not sorry. He goes back home, and the reason he changes his mind and his position of his heart changes is because the father comes running from far away. Now you think, what's the big deal? Your dad started running, okay? He's happy. Why, why would he change his heart? 
Three reasons. Number one, in Middle Eastern culture, even today, if you go and you were to go to Dubai, for example, where I lived for a while, you will see people and they are in a candora, okay? This candora looks like a long, long, long gown, all right? But it's very nice. Men walk. They don't run, okay? It's not, it's not respectable. So men would be walking for the father to pick up his robe. It said he ran to his son while he was so far away. For him to pick up his robe and run was shameful, so anybody watching would have been like, oh my God, did you see this fool out here running? Um, and he's run- who is he running to? That's the second point. He was running to him because the village, when the son left and took all the money, he would have, they would have been wanting to shame him when he came back. Because what he essentially said was, dad, you're dead to me. I really could care less about you. I want all my money. I want all my stuff. I'm about to go have a good time and party. Forget you, Okay. It says, we always say it takes a village to raise a child. In this context, the village was coming back to hurt the child. If they would have seen him and gotten to the sun first, they would have filled pots with a whole bunch of crap, with with sharp glass, with, with manure and things, and thrown it at him, completely shattered it in front of him to let him know how much they did not want him there. And they would shame him for what he had done. So when the father runs to him far off, it's really to protect him from the shame that the village would want to cover him in. You with me? Does that make sense? The third reason why this was so important was that this story already happened. The religious leaders would have understood that. They already would have seen the story before because in Genesis chapter, uh, I think it's 11, I believe it is. Yeah, Genesis, no, Genesis 33 verses 1 through 11. You can go back and read it on your own. I'm going to give you the days of our lives quick version, okay? So this little story is Jacob and Esau. They're two twins. These twins come from the lineage of Abraham, and we all know if you keep going forward, that's where Israel comes from. So the religious leaders would have known these brothers. Jacob is the younger brother. We've already established the younger brother, least of these. Not that important. The older brother of the twins is Esau. Jacob tricks Esau out of his inheritance, out of what the father, Jacob, was going to leave him. He's very smart. Esau's very dumb. So that's what happens, okay? We all have that sibling. Anyway, so uh, I don't. All my siblings are wonderful. Praise the Lord. So we, we go on, and he tricks him, and Jacob runs away because he knows Esau is big enough, man enough, hairy enough, he can kill him, okay? So he leaves for a while, and then all of a sudden, he's like, man, I got to go back and I got to see Esau because he's looking for me. I can't keep running for the rest of my life. When Jacob decides to go back and meet him, he sends out this caravan and stuff. And he's trying to basically hide and like get ready like the son and the prodigal son who comes back and says, I'm going to repent. I'm going to tell Esau I'm sorry. Before he can say anything, do anything, Esau sees him so far away. And he's like, my brother, he runs to him up his little thing, runs to him. And before anybody else can shame Jacob, anybody else can do anything to Jacob, he says, I forgive you. I love you. Don't even worry about it. The religious leaders knew this story. So Jesus is essentially telling them, you know scripture so well, and yet you're not living it. Not only should you be shepherding and loving this flock of sinners that you despise, not only should you be caring for them because they are of detail, they are great, of, of great importance to God, but you also should be celebrating them because you are not the father. You don't get to sit in the seat of judgment. Remember, we said there's two sons. The first son are those who were lost. That was the sinners. The father 
represented God or Jesus. And then there's the second son. That was the Pharisees and the religious leaders, the ones who didn't want to accept the people who were coming to God that didn't look like them, didn't act like them, didn't think like them. And the problem was Jesus recognized that he wanted them to recognize our righteousness can be just as much a danger to our relationship with God as someone else's need who needs to repent to God. They're not better. We all suck. That's why he came. Just that's the easy way to say it. I don't know how else to say it. We all suck. And Jesus is like, you really think that you're better than them. You're not. You're not any better. Now, we never actually find out if the second son accepts the invitation to join the party. Jesus just kind of does like a this is us cliffhanger. He's like, will Kevin and will Randall become brothers again and blah, blah, blah. If you are done with the season, please don't tell me, okay? Because I am still, I'm, I'm far behind. I'm on like episode five. So all that to say, though, Jesus wanted them to understand that. And he prayed this up until his death. Hey, God, please let them become one. These people who think they know everything and these people who know absolutely nothing and want to know something, would you let them recognize I came for all of them? I came for everybody. And I want everybody to follow me. Why? Because I find, and I, I find joy and I celebrate those who are lost. I'm not looking to condemn anybody. How do I know this? I know this to be true because there's a guy who followed Jesus. His name was Matthew. He's one of the disciples. He also kept an account of things that Jesus said. And he caught, captured something that Jesus said. And Jesus said in Matthew 6.21, where your heart is, there your treasure is also. Where your heart is, there your treasure is. Well, where is Jesus' heart? With us. How do I know that? Because John, also a friend of Jesus, captured what Jesus said and how he felt about Jesus and what he understood about Jesus in chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. And you've probably heard this a million times, whether you're a believer or not, whether you come along with Jesus or you're not a follower of Jesus. You've heard this before because it's everywhere. And it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And we normally stop right there. We don't actually look at verse 17. Everybody just says that. We're like, okay, so yeah, you need to love Jesus. But there's a key thing in verse 17. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, rather, but to save the world through him. So people who are followers of Christ, and we've all encountered them, okay, we've probably even been them, who want to say, oh, well, you need to get this right, you need to get this right. That's not God. Jesus did not come to condemn us, but to cover us and carry us and care for us because he's our good shepherd. That's what he wanted them to understand. Jesus joyfully threw us over his shoulder like the shepherd did with the sheep, and he brings us along and he says, I love you. How do I know that? Because he recounts all that there's recounts of joy everywhere, but specifically in Hebrews, there's a letter that is written in Hebrews 12 verses one through two, and it says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, these witnesses are people who believe in God, people who saw Jesus do works, people who trusted in Jesus. 
Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles entangles us, the hard things that we get so wrapped up in our own shame. Throw that off and let us run the race of perseverance that God has marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the perfecter and the, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith for the joy. Say for the joy. Say it again. For the joy. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that was set before him. What was the joy? The joy was us. We are the joy. We bring Jesus joy. Say, I bring Jesus joy. He look at you, he just start dancing like for real. Cause I'm happy. Okay, that's that is what the joy looks like. In case you needed a picture. Okay, that's my own parable. So we are his treasure. We're his sheep. We're his chosen ones. And Jesus took all of our sin. All the things that we fail to do, all the times we miss the mark, all the times we stand like the toddler and we're like, I didn't do it. He's like, it's okay. I got it. I'm going to take it. And not only did he take it just because he was happy to die on the cross, not so. As a matter of fact, he asked God, can I not die on the cross? Because if I can, I'll be happy with that. And he's like, but not what I want, but what you want, God. So he dies on the cross, but the joy was the fact that he would get to be in relationship with us and we would have a right relationship with God because when God looked at us, he wouldn't see our stuff, our crap, our sin, our harmatia. He would see Jesus and the love that he has for us. And that relationship is not dependent on anything that we do or we don't do. It's all dependent on God. The wages of sin, what sin costs is death. And Jesus said, I'm going to step in and I'm going to take that. I'm going to take the death that you deserve. I'm going to pay what you can't pay so that you can live a life that you, I want you to live with me. Does that make sense? Yeah? Yeah. Okay. So now, someone might be watching, wherever you are, and you might be like, I don't really understand all of this. So it cost him everything. So what? Why should I care? Because he loved me? Because I really don't feel all the love. I don't know if, if you, if your 2020 was great, my 2020 was horrible. I lost a lot of people. I lost my job. I lost friends. I lost people to COVID. So why should I care? What does the cross have to do with love and my failure? I'm going to tell you. I'm glad you asked. So March 2018, uh, it was March 10th, 2018. My friend Terrence sends me this uh, link to Spotify, and he says, hey, you got to listen to PJ Morton and Yeba. How deep is your love? Y'all heard that at the top of the, the, the set, right? So good. If you were here on time, you heard that. If you didn't, you can go back and play it, okay? But it was such a good song, and so he's like, hey, you got to listen. It's so good. I'm like, great. So I'm listening. The song is really good, and they get to how deep is your love, how deep. And I'm like, all right, all right. And then I get another phone call. I'm like, dude, I just started listening to the song. Can you, can you calm down? It's not him. It was actually a former student of mine. Her name is Chelsea, and she called, and she said, Miss Hardness, I'm so sorry. And the song is playing in the background. I'm like, girl, yeah, okay, I'll call you back. She's like, no, I, I want to say sorry. I said, what are you sorry for? And she said, I'm sorry about Parth. I said, what are you talking about? And she's like, he died in a car accident this morning. And I, I was like, I'm sorry, what? And she's like, he, he died in a car accident this morning near where she lived. So I'm like, Okay, 
And I just remember hearing the song just kept playing. Like everything else stopped. I don't know if you've ever lost anyone, but when you do, it's almost like everything is like surround sound. Everything stops. Even if things are moving, it's like movie slow motion. And I didn't hear anything else except for that song. And the words were on the chorus. And they just kept saying, how deep is your love? How deep is your love? I really need to know how deep is your love over and over and over again. And I was really angry for like months. And I kept playing the song over and over again. Just because on some way I wanted to stay in the moment, like he never actually died. And then other ways I wanted to just play the song because the question was what I was asking God. Look, I did everything you asked. I'm the second son. I did everything you said. I followed directions. I didn't ask for anything. You said, adopt this kid. I adopted him. You said, do this for him. I did it. I raised him. He's 20-something years old. He's about to be 22 in just a few months. And you let him die? What is your problem? How do you love me? So the song that they kept playing, the question was, God, do you really love me? Because if you did, you wouldn't let this happen. I don't know where you are in your walk with God or if you even believe in that at all. But there are things that happen in our lives and you're like, do you really love me? And so then one day I went to play this song again. It's probably like two, three months later. I'm just going to play it again because I'm still mad with God. How much do you really love me? And I accidentally, accidentally pressed this song that says how deep the Father's love for us. And I was about to turn it, and I heard the first lyrics. And if you're not familiar with it, it's a hymn. It's really chill. It's not anything crazy. But the words of the first stanza say, How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. And I had to stop. Because for the first time in my entire life, I actually understood what it costs Jesus. Everything. It costs God his only son. For the joy that was set before Jesus, that joy was bringing us into eternal life to be his son or his daughter forever. The only way that could happen was that someone had to take on all of our failure. And Jesus said, I'll go do it. I'll be the one that dies. And I don't know if I could have been God because I, if I could have stopped the phone call before I got it, I would have stopped it. My son would still be here. And I don't know if you have little boys or if you're the only son your mom has, but that's hard to lose your only kid. I have no more children. And God was like, go. Even when Jesus said, do I have to do it? Go. He did it. We have a choice as a second son, as a believer. We can join in the celebration. Which means if we join the celebration, if we walk into the house, if we say, God, you know what? I'm following you. I want to do this with you. I don't want to do it on my own. I want to walk with you. Then that also means we have to accept the grace and the love that the Father 
his, his house has. Those are the rules of the kingdom of God. Love and mercy. If we decide that we're going to accept that, then we also have to believe that the people that are around us, those people we don't like, the boss, the coworker, the mom, our dad, all these people, our children at times, we have to believe that God finds them to be the most beautiful treasure because Jesus believed that we are worth it. He believes that we're worth it. So the question that Jesus asked the Pharisees is the same question that I'm going to put before you today. Will you join him in celebrating the greatest treasure of all? Those people who are lost, that want to be found. Better yet, whether you're a believer or not, the better question is, would you like to accept the truth that you, you are his greatest treasure? Now, if you're not a believer, that's all right. You can wrestle with this question. You can wrestle with the question of, does God actually love me? Is God real? All those questions. And I hope that as you wrestle, you'll surround yourself with some people who don't mind following Jesus. They've already made that choice. So they can answer and tell you some truth from their own life. If you are in a place and you're like, you know what? I've been coming to Decatur City. I've been looking online. I've been trying to figure this out. I'm not, I think I want to be a part of the family because I have failed over and over again. I just can't get this right. Then my question for you today, when we pray in a little bit, is that you'll pray the words that we say out loud, that you pray them in your heart and you make the decision to go, you know what, God, I'm not going to get it right, but you got it right and I want to be a part of that. And then the third place, if you're in this room and you are a believer, you've been mad with God for a minute about some stuff. You haven't really been trusting him with everything in your hands. You haven't really allowed yourself to come alongside people who are different in your family who don't have it together. And you need to just say, I want to come in the celebration. I want to celebrate those people, God, because you love them. And if you felt like they were worth it, I don't get to say they aren't. I want to be a part of that. I don't care where you fall on that spectrum. I want all of us as a family, we're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. If you're watching online, I want you to close your eyes and bow your head. And I want us to say these words. You can say them to just out loud so that whoever's sitting around you, whatever decision they need to make, they feel safe. Okay? So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And I want you to repeat after me. You don't have to be loud. Just say it. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you came when I was so far away and you gave your life for me because you believe I'm worth it. I have not always gotten things right and I'm not gonna get things right, but you know that about me already. And that's what makes it so awesome to follow you. So I totally confess, and I really believe in my heart, God, that you sent your son 
your only son for the, to pay a debt that I could never pay. I believe he rose again. And I believe that he gives me power and he enriches my story with your love for me. I thank you for this gift. And I ask for the courage to trust you, to love others and fully love you the best I can. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.